the idea of a sandwich shop and it being a scalable concept and that it maybe one day will be able to pay for my kids to go through school is really attractive. Coming from a chef who was working 90 hours a week where a lot of the kind of young chefs are getting in there and thinking, okay, how can I get a Michelin star or how can I get three hats or how can I work with a person who's gonna push me the hardest? I think it's cool to see people stepping back and thinking, how can I turn this into a, a sustainable career path for myself? Today on Dirty Linen, we are chatting to Dom Wilton, a sandwich maestro from Melbourne. His Hector's Deli in Richmond is one of those places that people people start talking about it and they they sort of are lost for words because the sandwiches are so epic. They might start drooling. It's one of those places that people are incredibly passionate about. Dom, welcome to Dirty Linen. Thank you so much for having me, Danny. That was a, um, a great intro. <laughs> well, honestly, I was almost lost for words as I, as I said the name of the deli because I just it just makes me think of overstuffed sandwiches, incredible combinations of really high quality ingredients, and I suppose a real, I guess, a fine dining appreciation of produce and flavor combinations, but brought into this incredibly accessible product. Yeah, it's funny, like people describe us often using those sorts of terms now and it's kind of, um, you know, the opposite of what we set out to do, to have that sort of reaction, you know, like I guess the concept itself is the most basic of concepts. It's like extremely kind of utilitarian and um, I think like when Melbourne gets hold of something, we're pretty good at um, adding the, the hype factor but we'll take it. It's great. I'm glad that we get people reacting like that to the humble sandwich. Well, what did you mean to do? Um, oh, should I tell you the story? Yeah, go on. Tell us the story. Yeah, sure. Um, I came from a fine dining background, I guess you would say. And um, <clears throat> Hector's Deli was started out of waiting for permits for um, a French restaurant that I was opening with my Zen business partner, Jason Barrett, who I was at Stoke House for a long time with. And um, he was then at Attica and I went and stage there for a little while. Um, and then, yeah. And then, so we'd planned to open this 250 seater French restaurant in Fitzroy in Collingwood and um, permits and building permits just took forever. So in the meantime, we opened up Hector's Deli as something to do while we waited I'm busier and I sort of held on to the idea and canned the, the restaurant plan. And yeah, here we are four and a half years later with Popular Sandwich Store. I mean, looking back now and given all that's happened over the past two years, I mean, how, how glad are you? I'm so glad. You know, I, like it made sense to me straight away. So it, it's not a shock. I think um, – at the time, I, because we'd worked so hard or I'd worked so hard in fine dining, it felt like the natural progression to kind of, you know, you, you get brainwashed in a way when you're in fine dining. You, you just, you're working so hard and when you're working those long hours over the stove, you can become sort of all encumbered in fine dining and you struggle to see anything outside of that. So I think when... Um, I got a chance to step outside of that and go into, um, you know, more casual hours and a more casual vibe. I saw the appeal of doing something that was um, giving me a, a better connection 
to, you know, to regular human beings on a daily basis. I think the challenge of applying um, my skill to something that would, you know, give a wider range of people the ability to taste what we were doing was kind of, yeah, that was exciting. You know, there's nothing exclusive about sandwiches. And so um, that kind of became, yeah, a real pull for me. And that translated into something that was a brand and to, to this idea that maybe we could scale it and maybe um, it would make us some money and we wouldn't be uh, doing something, you know, that was kind of unsustainable when considering having a family life and a, and a social life. Yeah. Sorry. I think I, um, I got a little carried away there, but you understand what I'm saying? No, it's absolutely, it's all relevant. Yeah, Dom, it makes me think of places like Tuck Shop Takeaway uh, with Clint and Karina who, you know, well, you know, came from a fine dining background, Clint from Attica and Karina from uh, Dinner by Heston or Fat Dark anyway. Um, and, you know, people that have, I guess, left fine dining behind but applied the same aesthetics and principles to going really deep into something that at first, you know, at first blush might seem really simple like a burger or a sandwich, but you can really take those dishes far. You can go really deep. Yeah, definitely. I think the main point being that you kind of can't hide behind simplicity. Even at places like um, Attica or, you know, other restaurants that I starched at around the world in London, the basis of everything is, you know, starts with simplicity. So, you know, it's like original technique. Um, and I think the idea is that you can't really hide behind simplicity. So you take, you know, the work ethic and the attention to detail that you picked up during your time or that I picked up during my time in fine dining and just apply that to something very simple kind of ends up being the perfect storm. Yeah. And I mean, it also makes me think of Warcop with this Indonesian sandwich place, which is opened not far from you, also in Richmond, which is uh, a fine dining chef. He's come from Navi and is putting, you know, Indonesian dishes between various slices of bread and, yeah, creating something pretty amazing. I know those guys are amazing. We had breakfast from them this morning. Did you? Oh, what did yeah, you have? Yeah. Uh, we actually had the bagel because I was there early. We run out of... Um, till roll and I was begging him for some till roll so I, I ordered six bagels for the team ah uh, but yeah. I, again like yeah he's another person that's just killing it and it's weird um not to go off topic but the minute a new sandwich shop opens I'll get like a hundred DMs being like oh my god look these people are doing sandwiches as well and my reaction to that is always like you know it's amazing I'm so glad there are more fine dining chefs turning to sandwiches you know, it's like pizza or like kebabs. It's such a, you know, it's such a, an accessible food that deserves so much credit than it probably got, you know, 10 years ago. So it's like, I'm, I'm so happy. And they're doing, yeah, it's really original what they're doing there. Yeah, I love it too. It also makes me think of Japanese cuisine and just how a lot of chefs will just spend their whole careers doing one thing really well. And it's just always about responding to the seasons, to the produce. I'm, you know, I'm thinking about sushi or ramen. It's, uh, there isn't this, I guess, this, hunger to always do something else it's the 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 pleasure the creativity the intensity is is found with with really homing in on something quite specific totally and I think one of the main things to mention there is like because a lot of people starting out with wanting to do sandwich shops or delis or whatever they come to me for advice just just um you know really simple questions on how to get something like Hector's Deli started but 
I think one, one of the big pulls when you're talking about food that's simple like that um, from the view of a, a young business owner is it's kind of, um, it's simple and it's easy to get your head around understanding the, you know, the business mechanics for something like a sandwich shop that has five sandwiches. I think a lot of the people who open, you know, fine diners these days aren't really well equipped with the knowledge of like, you know, okay, what's, what, what's your COGS percentage or what do wage costs look like? Or, you know, what are all the other overheads? Um, so I think it's just kind of this, for lack of a better term, just like dumbed down kind of simplified business idea, which is like so great. It's amazing to see people doing something, not trying to bite off more than they can chew and succeeding. That's kind of one of the really cool cool parts of it, I think. So do you see it as a stepping stone to going to doing that 250-seat restaurant or do you feel like, oh, no, this has definitely got enough for me? No, no, it's got more than enough for me. And, and, and to be honest, I probably, you know, it's not even in the same realm, I guess. For me, um, with sandwiches, the food is just a vessel for something greater, you know, for, for connecting to people and to building a brand um, and to creating a sustainable business, you know, from, from top to bottom. And what I mean by sustainability isn't just the environmental impact. I'm talking about, you know, being able to keep the lights on and being able to pay people properly, you know, not working overtime, closing at 2 PM rather than getting out at midnight. Just, um, yeah, I guess like, the idea of a sandwich shop and it being a scalable concept and that it maybe one day will be able to pay for my kids to go through school is really attractive coming from a chef who is working 90 hours a week where the only thing, you know, where a lot of the kind of young chefs are getting in there and thinking, okay, how can I get a Michelin star or how can I get three hats or how can I work with a person who's going to push me the hardest? I think it's cool to see people stepping back and thinking, how can I turn this into a, a sustainable um, career path for myself. Mm, so interesting. I'd love you to talk more about that connection that you have with your customers because, I mean, I guess from a, in a fine dining setting, there is also that connection and fine dining restaurants are often places that people go for those occasions, you know, the birthdays, the engagements, the anniversaries, whatever it is, those really important milestones in people's lives that, you know, restaurants share with them in a really in a really profound way. Uh, but tell me about the kind of connections that you have with your customers. Um, well, for us, community is everything. Like where, um, you know, it, it affects us more than most people because if you've been to Hector's Deli, like you've seen physically where it's situated, we're bang smack in the middle of a residential street. There's literally not other one other commercial business within two kilometers of us kind of a thing or one kilometer of us. So when we opened and nobody knew who we were and we didn't have any Instagram presence, all we could do was rely on our immediate community. Um, so we like learned everybody's name, learned everybody's coffee order, their sandwich order. Um, and that was really easy because there was no one. And as we grew and we had more and more people coming through our doors up to, you know, now we have thousands flocking to us every week that is still kind of the the foundations of who we are you know know everybody who's coming to order a coffee know everyone who's coming to order a sandwich and yeah that community aspect is kind of that's what identifies us mm. so 
when you talk about thousands of people flocking to you every week, it does bring me to a bit of a, a timely discussion about keep, keeping things COVID safe. What have been some of the challenges uh, in that regard? Oh, I mean, the, the obvious ones. Like just saying it sounds icky. You know, it feels, um, yeah, it's ironic, you know. Like we get into this business to try and, um, you know, give ourselves a better chance at succeeding. And now the fact that we've got so many customers coming to Hector's Deli feels like a really bad thing, you know, because. So weird. It is weird, but like, I guess like we, we really want to accept the challenge. You know, I guess we're really privileged to be open at the moment. 90% of restaurants aren't. And so I think what comes with that, and especially being in the middle of a little um, residential area, is a responsibility to try and make it as safe as an environment could possibly be. So, um, yeah, I mean, it is timely. Like this Wednesday or tomorrow, we're completely changing our menu. Um, and that's like a really scary thing. I mean, this month we're on track for our busiest sales month ever in four and a half years. Wow. So, um, yeah, which is really cool. Like, I guess I'm, I'm like so proud of the team to have kind of accepted the challenge to say, okay, well, what we're doing is working incredibly well, but let's throw it completely out the window in hope that we're going to create, um, you know, a safer environment for our locals. Well, just explain what that is. Like, what are you actually doing? Yeah. So currently our wait times on hot food are like 30, 40 minutes um, when the crowds get really big. And so what we're doing is we're putting the deep fries away and the toasty presses away and we've gone to um, a completely fresh sandwich menu. So you'll line up, then you'll order and receive your sandwich at the same time and then you'll be able to leave the area. So it just means no more toasties, no more fried chicken, it's about, you know, reinventing Hector's Deli temporarily as, um, yeah, just like a fresh sandwich offering. I mean, that is pretty radical. Was it something that you'd weighed up and thought, nah, we can't do that uh, a few times? Or was it just a, a light bulb moment? Like, how did you come to that? I think, well, well yeah, nah, it was, it was like a in bed at midnight feeling like I'm about to have an anxiety attack moment. Um which I'm laughing at, but, you know, it's very real because it's like there's so much pressure coming from every angle. And I get it. Um, I get why people are upset that there are 200 people congregating outside of Hector's Deli. But, yeah, I, you know, it's – it's. Um, I will answer that question, but it's good to know sometimes that there are human beings on the inside of the hospitality businesses that are trying to run at the moment and that we're all kind of – just scraping at, you know, any concept that might work or any um, kind of restructuring of our business or pivoting to try and make things work. And you feel like that's already enough stress. But when you're taking on the responsibility of like a police officer, you know, you kind of find yourself in this really odd spot where you're like, far out. We're not even cooks and hospitality people anymore. We're just like trying to get money in the door and keep people safe. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's so much to take on. So did you have to have staff sort of managing the queue or, I mean, ensuring people were checking in? Like, what did you do? Well, obviously all the basics, having people check in, um, having an extra staff member on every shift roaming around, asking people to put masks on. But, you know, I don't want to get too deep into it because it's kind of such a negative subject, you know, But and, and everyone's dealing with it. But for me, the, the, the want to pivot – definitely came from 
firstly, wanting to alleviate my staff of that new pressure they had to become this like authority on mask wearing, you know, they're, they're hospitality people. Like I think people give you too much credit and think all of a sudden you're like a authoritative body. Like we have no power, you know, we have no way of changing whether somebody, you know, 500 meters down the street is wearing a mask or not. But I think like the general public sometimes empower you with that in their heads. And then they're like, Oh, well, this is your fault. You know? Um, yeah, that, that can be, that can be a scary thought. Well, I think that the, I mean, yeah, compliance has got to be a partnership between businesses and customers. It's like, as you say, like a, a a young worker or, you know, any worker is, they did not sign up to enforce mask wearing, for example. And I, I think, you know, mo- uh, yeah, most businesses really, they know that compliance, well, they know that, you don't want, no one wants to be associated with being a, like a COVID hotspot. No. Um, no, I mean, we had a news camera there the other day. Oh, really? So, yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, that, that feeling, that feeling of tension in the street is like, well, this isn't worth it. But going back to that concept change, you know, it's not just a way to, um, to make the environment more safe. It's kind of, it's kind of inspiring for us as hospitality people who like want to use our brains in the right way you know let's come up with new recipes let's enjoy this new challenge let's like figure out how we can make something cool out of it you know while making it safer wow that's really amazing so I mean that is such a positive spin on it so take me back to that midnight anxiety (laughs) attack in bed Um, what was the process oh I'm just uh my wife and I work together um and we have an eight-month-old child and we're we're pretty switched on people at the moment. You know, I think we're just like constantly thinking about, Ooh, what's tomorrow going to be? You know, are the sales just going to drop off or are we going to be on the front page of the age or the Herald sun for, you know, being a super spreader or something like that. So I think once I'd made the decision in my head, which happened at midnight in bed, that no matter what, we're going to change our offering in some way. So that at least we can show people we're trying really hard to, um, you know, to, to put our hand up, I guess, as like industry leaders and say, even though what we're doing is working really well, we're going to try even harder um, to, yeah, to eliminate kind of those crowds congregating. I think that's really inspiring. Just hats off to you. Yeah, thanks. And you know what? It's even so icky hearing people call us or me inspiring for doing that because you look at guys like Con, who runs the ARCRC and You know, it's all about perspective at the moment, right? Like there's always somebody doing it so much tougher than you. And I guess um, trying to stay humble and trying to stay kind of focused is a real thing for us in the shop at the moment. You know, team team huddles and camaraderie and all that have become absolutely at the forefront. Yeah, okay. Well, I I guess, you know, the reason it's inspiring is because everybody works in their own arena. Everybody's got the the world around them that they can impact and change. And you have to start where you are. So, you know, it, it, people can look to what you're doing and work out, well, what can I do? And I think in that sense, it's that's the definition of inspiring. It actually, you know, prompts other people to reflect on their own situations and see if there's anything that they could do that might make a difference. So, you know. You can still be humble and be awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Okay, well, we're awesome. Um, I just wanted to mention on that as well, you know, I, I thought something that comes of that and that, you know, that sense of 
creativity that, you know, there's an opportunity there, like to kind of react to what's happening with COVID. Um, I, I feel like the whole of Melbourne and the hospitality scene has become super collaborative, which is just like insanely cool. Like I think the main things behind the scenes that we're doing with helping businesses with ideas or, you know, helping people kind of pivot their businesses and simplify things. Like I'm seeing a lot of that going on, like little groups, little forums um, that people are making to kind of help each other out and just give little bits of advice. Like I think after all of this, we're going to come out of it with a much more kind of collaborative hospitality scene, which is huge. Yeah, I think that's that is really special. I think people have, in a way, some people have realized that they need to open up and ask for support or ask or look at other people for ideas. And yeah, people have jumped out of their silos sometimes by necessity. But I think you're right; it is a really great opportunity to rebuild in a in a more collaborative and collegiate way. Definitely. Yep. So fresh sandwiches. I mean, uh, tell me what what might what might someone come upon? Yeah. So, uh, oh God, it's been so much fun. I'm writing a book at the moment as well, which is coming out next year. A book on sandwiches called Sandwich People. But it's kind of um, it's perfect timing because I'm I'm like combining uh, recipe testing with, with uh, you know the need to constantly update the menu at the moment. But <clears throat> we. First lockdown, when we had to do delivery, we developed um, with Quentin from Kula Baker and a bakery called Flywheel, what we think is kind of the perfect sandwich bread, which is a, like a sourdough Turkish, um, which is amazing, which came from a want again, like I never want to deliver our hot sandwiches. We'll, we'll, you'll never find us on Deliveroo or Uber Eats or any of that crap. Um, but our hot sandwiches don't deliver. So we, we developed this sourdough Turkish um, and all of the sandwiches that are coming on tomorrow will be on that. So think like roast chicken or BLT. Um, we're work, working really closely with Uncle Small Goods, an amazing smokehouse um, out in Dandenong. They've been there since the 90s on like, you know, rolled pork belly and shoulder, uh, sliced really thin with heaps of spicy horseradish. So I think like definitely, you know, these fresh sandwiches are still going to be super um, line worthy. Yeah, that sounds so good. You know what I also think though, like how cool is it going to be when you're able to bring the toasty machines back out and that first sizzle? Oh, it's going to be so cool. It's awesome. And that's the thing, like that even like what you just said is such a positive spin. You know, I think you've got to challenge yourself, especially when, what we've already created, we've been doing so consistently for like four years, four and a half years, you can get in a bit of a creative rut. Like this is such a, an exciting opportunity to just like, just throw caution to the wind and just create a, a full new menu. Um, knowing that when the time comes, we are going to fire the toasty presses and the fire, fryers back up and kind of get back to doing what we know. But we stay open during this time. I mean, who knows, like this might create a whole new concept for us. It might pivot our whole business for forever from now on. But I think the opportunity is cool and we'll just remain open-minded. Love it. And you are opening in another place, aren't you? Yeah, we've got South Melbourne opening in three weeks, which is, um, yeah, pretty bonkers considering everything that's going on. But, you know, oh, well, might as well go for it. We've been waiting waiting to open another shop for years and I've just been waiting for the, for the time when it felt right to scale. Really don't want to feel like a 
you know, a soulless chain straight away. But yeah, another shop felt felt right. So how do you bring on new staff members? I mean, wh- how do you sort of induct them into the soul of Hector's? Um, yeah, that's something we've worked really hard at for the last four years. And we've kind of nailed only a couple of months ago, like an onboarding process. But we just went away and thought about, um, you know, everything and, and kind of what made us. And it's one of the things that I always say to businesses now when they're opening up or like little businesses like us, I'm like, creativity um, and identity comes from rules and pillars and limitations. So I think when we, when we first opened Hector's, we created rules for ourselves, you know, like we're not going to invent flavor combinations. We're going to do classic sandwiches that you'd find, you know, in recipe books. We're just going to do them Hector style or, you know, we're never going to have a dishwasher. We're always going to wash our own dishes, not a dishwasher. We have the machine as if we're never going to have a dishy. You know, we're always going to be a rotating group of people who pitch in everywhere. Um, Just, you know, we're always going to use organic kind of ethical free range produce. Uh, We're always going to try and control things on our end that we can, like roasting our own coffee. So I think um, when I'm boarding new staff members, the easiest way for us is just to tell them the story of how we started because Hector's grew pretty organically and it's, it's really interesting. Um, and then as we scale, like we're opening South Melbourne and then, gee, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say it, but whatever. We're, we're opening Fitzroy Ooh. in March as well. Cool. Yeah. So yeah, it is definitely front of mind. Like how do we get new people coming on and still feeling that original, you know, soul of Hector's Deli. So everyone will work in the Richmond one before they're allowed to move anywhere else. I think that's another big thing. Yeah. Okay. And tell me more about the dishy uh, rule. Why do you think it's important to not have someone assigned to dishes? Uh, Look, again, I came from fine dining where hierarchy was everything, you know, and especially my time in London, like everyone was kind of a mini Gordon Ramsay. And one of the things that I really wanted to implement in Hector's Deli was this true sense of democracy you know this idea that everybody there has to do the same jobs at one point or another and everybody there gets to contribute like the ideas might come from the the newest person or the oldest person whatever it may be you know i think that one thing of making sure that whether you're the head chef or whether you're the newest person who just got on boarded you know you're both doing the dishes that day and i just think it creates a sense of equality mm, absolutely well i have to uh, also say from yeah when I was at Attica just doing the soup project with with Ben last year uh he was often on the dishes so I think ben, ben is a leader in that in that regard yeah an absolute leader and I think it's also worth saying that Attica is one of the fine dining restaurants that's pretty careful about hours worked now and people yeah really seeking that work-life balance I think you know I really reckon restaurant like like places like Tuck Shop, places like yourself that are really bringing it in terms of creativity and great, great products. I think fine dining restaurants have a lot to learn from businesses like yours and like Clinton's where it's like, you know, it's, it's taking a lot of, um, it's learning from, you know, experiences in all kinds of different restaurants. And I, I guess that learning can go both ways. Oh, that is so well said. Uh, 100%. And I, like, I think that's just as a continuation of that thought. It's about continually learning, you know, even if like, I hate to keep harping on about Ben, but like, you know, the constant pivots and the constant kind of ability to keep learning, whether it's from your staff or someone else is what keeps places like that 
kind of so relevant and desired to work at. Like I think for us, you know, even now when I'm learning about overtime pay for staff or what is and isn't allowed, like you're constantly trying to evolve and develop. And I think, you know, the only way to survive while owning a business is to kind of know that you're regularly going to fuck up Um, and just, yeah, and just like stay open and stay a little bit humble and, and try and always be in a perpetual state of learning. So, Dom, I reckon let's finish by you giving uh, Melbourne and Australian dining a bit of a G up because a lot of people do not have your energy, inspiration, outlook right now. Uh, people are doing it pretty tough, but can you just give us a bit of a long view? How awesome are things still going to be? Things are amazing and I feel like we are super lucky, especially in Melbourne City, to have all of our places that are, you know, like sit-in places pivoting so hard and pushing to be creative. This is for people who are locked down, all of us, an opportunity to experience those restaurants. Like you'll never get to experience them like this again, you know, like go and eat that fine dining sandwich, you know, Martin Ben's fucking doing his thing. Ben Shuri's doing his thing, you know, T from Anchovy's doing her thing. I mean, like these are some of the best chefs in the world making food like you've never seen them do before. It's, it's an opportunity. Um, and except that we're going to be in this for a little while longer and then we're all going to be sitting down at our favourite restaurants and pubs, drinking together and eating and, and talking about it. <laughs> we'll be, yeah, listening to those sandwich presses, clinking those glasses. It's going to be good. It's going to be incredible. Dom, thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat to us today. It's really brilliant to talk to you. It makes me feel like eating about eight sandwiches. <laughs> uh, but thanks for doing what you're doing at Hector's. Thank you so much, Danny, and thanks for having me. I appreciate it. This is Dirty Linen, and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is...